Last weekend, um, Doug, Simeon, and I left uh, the Amigo retreat a bit early. After receiving a call that Doug's grandmother died in the house adjacent to ours, peacefully in her sleep. Doug's Nana was a powerful storyteller. Many of her stories were whimsical or entertaining, joyful, I would say. But her stories also created identity. She told stories that helped people see themselves more clearly. Her stories also created connections between people. She was a master at telling an ex a story that would explain one person to another, helping to build a bridge when an impasse had occurred. Towards this goal, sometimes her stories were freighted with gentle corrections. More than anything, I think her stories were a kind of love. I think it seems delightful and natural and true um, to think of love in a lot of ways as friendship between surprising animals or as an invisible string or as a force intermittently powerful and gentle as a particular kind of courage. But this week I have been thinking about love as a story being told by a master storyteller. Now the last several years, Nana has been struggling with dementia. This didn't dull her love of stories or her ability to tell a captivating one. It did mean that she tended to tell, tell the same stories over and over again, back to back to back. Over the last several months, I have wondered a few times, why these stories? Might there be some logic in the fixations exposed by this terrible disease? In any event, one story that she told again and again involved her work as a teacher for nearly 60 years. She would say, I always tell people that I loved all of my students. Inevitably, she said, people would respond, Nancy, you couldn't possibly have loved all of them. And to this imaginary interlocutor, Nana would always assert, at the beginning of the year, I didn't love them all, but I would pray every day and work really, really hard so that by the end of the year, I could honestly say I did love every single student. This story has been in the back of my mind for quite a while now, um, even before Nana's death. It reminded me of something I think that used to be more at the forefront of my own spirituality. Simply put, seeking God's help to love people. As we have been exploring this theme of connection, we have acknowledged a few times that making and sustaining connection can be really, really difficult work. Perhaps some of the hardest and most confounding work we do as human beings. And so it is good to ask, I think, how does our spirituality empower us to be better at connecting with each other? Now, obviously, there's nothing novel in what I am saying. Um, both the Old Testament and the New Testament emphasize this deep connection between love of God and love of neighbor. In the passage we read today, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replies, you must love the most high God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. 
And the second command is you must love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. And scripture is filled with reminders that these commands are linked together. You cannot say that you love a God that you cannot see when you do not love the neighbor that you do see. What good is it to tell a person that you love them if you aren't going to care for their material needs? Or a modern version, you only love God as much as the person you love least. Over time, my understanding of the love command, I think, has become more expansive and far-reaching, more politically and ethically astute. But I also think just a little bit more vague. I feel like I used to spend a lot more time seeking God's help in loving people that I found troublesome or obnoxious in my own personal life. More recently, I think I have been guilty of loving humanity a bit more than human beings. And I'm not alone in this temptation. I suspect that for many of us, our current political climate has made us aware of how hard it is to love some people. Now, the passage from this morning describes a conversation between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. Unlike other conversations between Jesus and the scribes, there is no disagreement. Both Jesus and the scribes agree that the command to love God and neighbor is at the center of holy teaching. Yet despite their shared theology, Jesus asserts that the scribe doesn't quite get it. Jesus names a gap between head and heart knowledge of this commandment. Jesus' interlocutor knew the right answer to the question and knew the right interpretation of the law, but this didn't stop him. In this instance, Jesus says, from acting unjustly towards widows. This gap is present for many of us. Um, so how do we close it? Well, I think the answer to this question is gonna be a bit different for each of us. For me personally, I've been trying to follow Nana's example and be a little bit more specific and practical. Our lives actually provide us endless opportunities to work at loving people. And so a simple, practical, spiritual practice I have re-engaged with is asking God's help. This has led me to spend a bit more time in confession, in rigorous examination of why I so often falter at this task. And the purpose of this confession is not self-flagellation, but instead to clear more space for love in my life by removing the very present obstacles to that love. I think these are different for each of us, but they could include unkind assessments of other people, jealousy, a tendency to get easily angry, a sense that you know better than others, a habit of gossip. I think we can all think of some applicable to ourselves. A very good and simple practice is ask for help in recognizing these things and for strength in overcoming them. And I think whatever form of meditation or spiritual practice we take up, we need to keep in mind that the goal of such a practice is that we grow in love for one another, not in our own moral or spiritual perfection. Maybe you are really, really good at these practical spiritual practices of loving the people in your life. 
so good that you are often exhausted and overwhelmed by all the commitments you make to care for others and all your deep connections, you might need something different. Jesus' version of the love commandment not only links love of others with love of God, but also love of others with love of self. It might be helpful for you to engage in a form of meditation where you remember that you are deeply and dearly loved by God. You might feel resistant to this form of spirituality because it seems incredibly self-focused. However, it needn't be. When you can experience that you are dearly, deeply loved by God, you can begin to embrace, I think, the earth-shattering idea that God loves every person you encounter with that same deep love. This is a kind of knowledge when we accept it really can transfigure how we see the world. Every once in a while, I will see it for about a millisecond. The billions of people on the earth, each with their own mental life that stretches into the past, hopes into the future, mind struggling to encompass God and the whole of all things. And somehow all of these people known and loved by God. For a moment, when I hold this thought, the whole world shines forth like a transfiguration. The Bible says more than this, really, um, that this loving care extends beyond humans to sparrows and badgers and the flowers of the field. The mystic Julian of Norwich wrote that the dust that we can catch and see in the sunbeam exists because of God's present and persistent love for it. Everything that exists exists because God loves it and holds it in love. Uh, part of why we do this work of spiritual exploration, I think, is the hope that somehow this mystic vision can hold us for a second. A second so that we can be, for a moment, transformed by love and transformed into love. That perhaps the most diligent amongst us can find joy and delight and not just burden and obligation in their chosen tasks. To return to where I began, it's easy for me to imagine love as a kind of story. Now, it might just be the case that love can transform any task into love when it is undertaken in the right intention, a song, a soup, a touch, or a story. Our own writer of novels, Michelle, tells us that she loved all her characters, wouldn't be able to write a story if she hadn't. I think it goes without saying that God is a storyteller like that. And stories are a good medium for God to work in. The lack of resolution that is literally painful in music or math can be beautiful and fertile and invitational in a story. The unraveling that would render useless a garment or a long chain of crocheting can be revelatory in a story. More than anything, in a story, we are able to see the complexity that comes with living our lives bound by time, at this place and not that place. With these people, we might not have chosen for ourselves a bounded world where not everything is possible, but where so many good things are possible every day. 
And we can participate in this storytelling with God, certainly not crafting either our beginnings or our ends, but in choosing to see others as possessing motivations that are as complex as our own, with their own needs and desires and plans. If we are brave enough, we can also see our own compulsions and errors and treat them as things that can be lovingly corrected. We might also be able to recognize their existence in other people with a bit more grace and forbearance. The work of making and sustaining connection is the hardest work we do as human beings. It makes sense to me that we undertake it with appropriate seriousness, but also appropriate delight. Bringing to bear our best insights about our own frailties and strengths, and with our mind and our hearts inspired by a vision of ourself and other people and God that is as expansive as our minds can hold. In other words, with both the soul of a good storyteller and the practical commitment that comes from the realization that learning to love is the great, formidable, and worthy task of our life here on earth.